looking for the King of Podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. This brand is truly exciting and I'm so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also let's not forget large orders for party favours by request. 
The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansopery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansopery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Aloha, brothers and sisters. This is Magnificent Morocco coming to you from Sunset Beach, Hawaii on Crazy Train Radio. Aloha. Hey, folks. It's your least favorite host in a podcast world, Croc. Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isle. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. This next guest is known from being from Sunset Beach, Hawaii. And for those who aren't familiar with the island, I've been fortunate enough to be over there in my younger days. That is the North Shore of Oahu. But this guest has been known for an amateur wrestling experience prior to becoming a professional wrestler where he was a amateur state champion in 1967 and he's done so much we'll get into it during this conversation some folks call him the original rock others call him the magnificent one don morocco good afternoon sir how you doing Allah? how you been no complaints on our end and I want to ask you, because I, I saw this last night as I was telling Dr. Mike in the e- email exchange, you take care of some horses. So what's that all about? That's not, that's not me. It's my wife. Uh, okay. <laughs> my wife's horses. Yeah, that was her job. That's how uh, we went into COVID and um, uh, the, the hotel where she's at, the Turtle Bay Hilton, or it's not Hilton, Turtle Bay Hotel, up the road here on the North Shore. They they closed down like many of the hotels you know around the world, so she um, I'm a dick. I mean I make her I make her pay for her own horses. I make her uh, I make I make her you know she get a couple horses, so I make her do her own stabling and and everything else. So you know so she I, I told her just she could take over my uh, you know all this that I haven't been doing. I until COVID I hadn't I hadn't been involved in any podcasting or. Or autograph signing, or you know, the birthday wishes, you know, anything, anything to do with uh, online. So I gave it to her so she could uh, make up the the difference. Since I've been relieved of my uh, other podcasting job, I, she's been fired <laughs> <laughs> and doing going against uh, what I asked her not to do. But you know, that's a, that's that was, it's it's gone. And so yeah, that's that's where my that's my extent to horses. Doctor Mike, you were mentioning shooting this gentleman in the uh, islands then on up in the San Francisco area. So do you want to get back into that story, sir? Well, sure. I want to first tell Don, I'm wearing a uh, legendary rain spooner shirt in his honor. I've had it right. since the sixties. So uh, mahalo for being on the yeah. show. The man from Makaha and the bonsai pipeline. Uh, I still call well, sort of where I, in my memory, I was looking at IMDB and I go, there's some shit that's not correct here. 
Oh, sorry for the cussing. Because I, I wanted to see if it jive with my recollection of your entire career. And I love focusing on your career prior to even going up to Vince in 81. Because uh, well, starting with the Ed Francis promotion, and I don't call it anything but the HIC. I know they renamed it Blaisdell. We still mm -hmm. call it HIC. And that was, you know, because I was working for all the newsstand magazines. My home base was L.A., working for Eaton and LaBelle as a ringside photographer, then secondary home base, San Francisco Shires for that program. But uh, I'm looking at the IMDb and I'm going, well, then it's, uh, you know, the obvious. I knew that I thought you came in for Don Owen after, well, how did you get broken in? Anyway, you had this amazing amateur career and won championships. Uh, like who broke you in? Was it the uh, Bleers or, or I don't know who did your training. That part I don't know. I used to, uh, Hang with the Jim Blears of Tally Ho's son. Okay. We graduated, went to school together and everything else. And then I, I went off to, to JC for a couple of years. I played ball and uh, was supposed to come back and go to the University of Hawaii to play, play football. Um, the time went, the summer went long. The, the winter started and um, I just kind of hung up football for a while. And then Sandra Kovacs, mm, who right. was Gene Kaniski's partner, in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, up in that area. He was visiting, and um, at the house, one of the houses that the Tally Ho kept in Waikiki, where the kids stayed, um, they'd have uh, uh, Lee Blears, Lady Blears, would, uh, you know, soya chicken or spaghetti and, you know, feed the feed the guys. And, and Sandra Kovacs was over one evening, and, and Tally goes, oh, look at this guy. He wrestled so-and-so uh, and so-and-so. How would you like to you be a wrestler? So... A couple of weeks later, I was on the plane uh, on my way to Vancouver, and that's uh, pretty no uh, no wrestling school, no no uh, hard knock school, just uh, up there. Bud Rattel, Jim Gillies, a few guys. Of course, Dean Higuchi, Dean Ho. Oh yeah, you know, my mentor. So you know, they they actually trained my in the ring training. So that's uh, I was that's where I started in in, in Vancouver. My first match, however, uh, they had a uh, Saturday TV. If you remember down in the old Portland uh, bowling alley, converted uh, Don Owens wrestling. Uh, so they, they'd send some guys down from, uh, from Vancouver. I think it was $25 trans and $75 for the match at the time. And I didn't have to me. And I had, that was my first match. And I went down there and there was Beauregard. Would have been, you know, I'm sure you remember from Hawaii. The singer. He's a musician. Yeah. And, you know, a few other boys that, that, that had been in the Hawaii territory that I knew from uh, Dean Higuchi's gym, Dean Ho. So, you know, that that was my first match on TV, uh, Portland TV. And that that's how I started in Portland, but worked the Vancouver territory. My first, uh, first you know, adventure into professional wrestling. This quick question. Did you ever get any extra bucks from Elton Owen, the infamous shoot uh, matches he wanted to see, but the guys were working him? No, no, I didn't get, I didn't, I was, I, I, I didn't work that much for Elton. I, I got down a few times. Um, he was a, he was a hilarious character. What they, the stuff they used to do to him was, was incredible. Yeah. And whether well, I guess the, the boy, and I guess the boys used to work the shoots after a while with him too, you know, so. But they, they was working cahoots and treat him like yeah. Mark, even though, you know, that was one of the better territories. Yeah. Because there were quite a few that were, Thank God you didn't work for Nick Gullis and maybe people that would short your yeah. paycheck. Let me throw back. I'll uh, keep my questions short. Well, I'll put it this way because you bring up Elton Owen there. 
and the story when you mentioned his name, I always think of the story Piper used to tell as far as the cigars. Yep. And yeah, we'll we'll leave it yeah. at that. People could do their homework on that story. There were there were many there were many guys that, that participated in that uh, that action. It was uh, God, it was oh. hysterical. Oh boy! And I remember Doctor Mike mentioned your early training and such, and you mentioned Dean Ho. And I remember back in the day, early on, as far as interviews and stuff go, that you would talk about guys in his gym stretching you was that because they heard of your amateur background or was this hey you're just a big I was guy a big kid, uh, i just i was a big kid in the gym you know there was a you know a lot of rugged guys in the gym and uh you know i was i was a young guy and a, and, a, and a regular there and at the time a lot of the guys they were going back and forth between japan and australia and they would stop in uh, in in honolulu on the way back to the mainland and they could use it as a write-off as far as taxes as well. So they, they do that. And then, and then, you know, like Gotch lived here, Luther Lindsay, uh, Luther Lindsay lived here for a long time. He wrestled, he wrestled, uh, Fred Francis in, uh, you know, in Honolulu area. He was a hooker too, wasn't he? Sorry. He was a hooker shooter too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tough, tough guy. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and gotcha. Gotch, Gotch lived here. He got the, he actually got a job. Fuji got him a job as a garbage, garbage man. And he loved it. He loved it. He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, run behind the garbage trucks, lifting and carrying, you know. And for him, it was right down his alley, you know, all that hard work and everything else. And he, you know, he he, he stayed there for a few, I don't know, years or months. This is but Carl Gotch, Carl Gotch, we're talking, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Krauser, they uh, he worked a number of different names for uh Ed Francis. I don't even recall what year did Francis start, and was there a promotion other than say Ricky Dozan's guys coming in and out of LA doing shows? Al Karasik was the uh, the first one I'm familiar with. Either I'd probably be. I'm sure there may have been promoters before him, but uh, Al Karasik had the promotion for a while. Then then Ed came in, and Ed. I think I heard. I I don't know, but I heard Ed get the money from Don Owens. So I think it was like eleven grand or something like that to buy the buy the territory. Yeah, this is in the gonna have to be the early '60s, and and Ed got the money and then started up the territory. And uh, he was quite a promoter. He had the, and he had a great, 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 you know, array of talent too. Well, he was blessed. I mean, one of the more inf- famous cards I shot, Terry Funk Sheik on top in a you know bloody death match. Underneath that was. Vince Sr.'s champion, Pedro Morales at the time, who you knew well, obviously, from San Francisco, AWA, everything else, teaming yeah. with Bobo against Ray and Nick, who were Vern's champions, which was unheard of. And then lower down, it was stuff like, you know, all the obvious uh, FERP, Missing Link, Ripper Collins, Roy Collins, Johnny Barrand, and it was like Mosker, or yeah, Moscaris against uh, Maurice Fashon, Lonnie Main was on this show. And then there was a battle royal to boot and it was the very first time that Baba and Andre had ever gotten in the ring together anywhere on a Honolulu show. But, you know, because Ed Francis not only had this great cachet of guys, but people going in and out of Japan would stop off there. It was an amazing territory out of this world. And I, I guess, well. yeah, I got pissed later on, you know, Leah taking over uh, Peter's widow at the time. And 
shorting guys, you know, all this infamous stuff. And the cards were nothing like Ed's at, at you know, I, and one of the weirdest style clashes I ever shot, there was Blassie against Billy Robinson. Blassie refused to sell for, you know, this ultimate, ultimate younger version of Carl Gotch type guy. And Bla Fred's not having it because Fred didn't take bumps. And yeah. that was pretty amazing for the, the Ring Magazine Championship belt, which was the top title there. But what are some of the memories that you have? I mean, the guys that would become total legends as Japanese stereotypes in the U.S., Fuji, you know, Harry Fujiwara and Charlie Kalani, Toru Tanaka, they all started there. So many guys started there. You know, it was like a birthing ground for great talent. Well, the majority of uh, great Japanese wrestlers from the land of the rising sun sent by the emperor, they all came from Hawaii. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fuji, Fuji, uh, Charlie Kalani, uh, Tortanaka, Kenji Shibuya. I don't know about Mitchell. I, I didn't. I didn't uh, Charlie Moto. Oh yeah, yeah. All the all those all those guys came came out of Honolulu. That's how that's how they were able to uh, to, to to murder the murder the language so so correctly. You know, uh, cross double IU, cross double me, and and then stuff like that. You know, you have Boisan and uh, Fuji didn't know a word of Japanese. <laughs> I was saying that his one and only tour for Baba, I think it was 74, 75, when uh, All Japan, uh, well, it was strictly an NWA. Uh, actually, so I think he came into maybe it was New Japan, but he kind of got booed. They didn't see him as a real Japanese guy, which, you know, was kind of criminal because he was such a beloved guy, king of the ribs, everything else, uh, and all the stuff Fuji did. I mean, you and Fuji, I think... You guys, you know, the magic that I saw at the Shire shows, you and Fuji there, because I think Pat had left his top face and Lonnie Main had sort of taken over that role, you know, that whole thing where Pat was billing himself as the U.S. champion for LaBelle in L.A. when he'd already dropped the, you know, the strap. Uh, so, so uh, you know, but it, that brings me to the IMDB, because I'm shooting ringside with Theo Aaron in L.A., and I... I know you came in in 75 because Pat and Gurria were Roy Shire's tag champions and they came down and I thought you'd made at least one show. I just don't recall you. And maybe it's because I'm getting senior, senioritis. I couldn't remember you as America's champion in LA for LaBelle. I, yeah, for real, real quick, real quick. I, um, I was on my way to Frisco for Shire's and uh, 74, uh, 76. I, I must have been coming out of Florida. Right. Or my, my, my parents had a, um, did, did apartments in, in Santa Monica. So I went, you know, I went to, went to there. I had a couple weeks off. So I went, I went there, got my book, myself booked. Uh, Louis Tillet had been, uh, been, book, been booking in Florida and had taken uh, the Hollywood Blondes and Dennis Stamp, Humper Dink, and, and a bunch of other guys from Florida over there. Um, and so I was, it was just, just transition. I took the, what was it? There was a tournament for that America's title oh, that, I, that, that I, that I won. And I was, uh, I was just passing it on to um, a young Korean fellow that, that they were there. They're pushing as a heel. Oh, Pax, Pax, no, 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 not Pax Song, but uh, the, guy, Sun? The, the guy that read uh, Humperdinck was managing Choice Sun, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm pretty sure that's the name. Yeah. So I just, I grabbed the, I was down there. Three or four weeks, they, they put the belt on me. I made a couple rounds uh, defending it and then uh, then dropped it back to um, the Humps guy. Well, I'm curious to know, because his name's been mentioned a couple times, Mr. Fuji. 
And obviously, because of my age, I remember you guys mostly be during the WWE days and such, Fuji Vice, all that fun stuff. But when did you initially get connected with uh, Mr. Fuji? Those old days back at uh, Dino's gym, Dino Gucci's gym. He was, uh, Fuji was selling aluminum siding. Fuji was making good money in Hawaii. And, uh, you, know, he, he, you know, he was, but he was wrestling too. He was a local, he was like the guys in New York or the guys anywhere. Local guys never got a break. So Fuji was there. He was a preliminary guy working, uh, putting over, you know, guys that were coming through. And, um, you know, he was, he was down, he was down at Dean's gym all the time. He would be there, there, you know, he was, uh, always had the big car, the big Cadillac or the big Lincoln. And he used to drive the wrestlers, uh, you know, he would take the boys around and he, he wanted to be one of the boys, but, uh, he had yet to, you know, he was, he was still, actually he was making more money than most of the wrestlers anyway. Doing his aluminum siding business. Nice. <laughs> oh, let me just ask Don, when did the ribs start with Fuji? Because he became sort of a master at that. But I think later on, uh, his second or third go round with Vince uh, or Vince Sr. Because before that, we know of all the early 70s ribs when he would come into Portland or Vancouver and the boys played really hellacious ribs on him. You've heard the thing where he's naked in a, somebody's... Uh, pond in front of their house and stuff a lot of the boys pulled some shit on fuji and maybe he kept having this stuff done to him so many times he thought now it's my chance to get i don't know you would know how did the he, no, he was, I, I think uh, he was he was going pretty strong back um back in those days he, he was that i, I remember because there was a there was a like a local bar right next to old old time this is you know this is a long time ago before all before Waikiki became, you know, like, uh, like, like downtown Tokyo or something, you know, it was, uh, there was a local bar next door. And I remember running over to get the ice to ice the beer down where they had a couple guys. It was the first dog, uh, dog teriyaki barbecue that I'd, had, that I'd seen. And then I'd heard, heard a couple after that. So that was, it was, this was early before I started wrestling, before he started wrestling in the, at the year in the early sixties. So he was always, uh, he was never really shy in it as far as a lot of that stuff went. So, but even then, you know, as on the road, you know, it, it became, you know, growing. We were actually right before Don joined us when his lovely wife logged down for him. We were actually talking about this picture behind you, jumping ahead with uh, the Grand Wizard. So got to ask, what are your favorite memories with uh, the Grand Wizard? He was a hell of a guy, good manager. Always, always uh, took care of his, took, took care of the guy he was in, in charge of. Never tried, to, um, never went over overboard trying to get himself over. He didn't have to. He didn't care. He was uh, private secretary for uh, Vince Senior down in, in Lauderdale, and uh, he, did, he did a lot of the you know a lot of the clerical work and stuff. That there wasn't you know no it, you know wasn't it was necessary at the time, but. You know, as the WWF grew, obviously they had to go to you know actual secretaries and stuff. But he did a lot of clerical stuff for senior, and he lived down there in, in uh, South Florida around Lauderdale area where uh, where senior lived. So he, he, you know, and he was a great to be coming first time into a territory. He was a great uh, he was great to have a, as a manager because he he just focused on his charge, you know, on the on the guy he was taking care of. So would he work? 
as a shoot manager helping with bookings? Because I've heard of some managers helping their talent besides being on TV in terms of travel and hotels and just everything that goes with whether it be the territory days or as the national expansion happened? <clears throat> no, no. Um, by the time I was there, uh, all the managers were just merely, uh, you know, show up for TV and would do, you know, would do your interview spots with you or accompany you to the ring and the interviews. They, they didn't uh, only show, the only live show they worked was a guard normally, unless there was something going on, you know, a, a big building in Philadelphia or, you know, I mean, you know, opening of a building somewhere or, you know, one of the, one of the major arenas or something. But uh, normally they, they just were there for the TVs, the two TVs, and, and they, they'd return Blassie and Lou and Ernie and, you know, whoever else. They all had to leave uh, even at the garden once they were introduced and the match started, like with Bruno, because I was shooting ringside with Napolitano and after and Frank Amato in the mid-70s. They all had to leave. You know, at the TV in Allentown and Hamburg, they could stay. But at the garden, the only venue that the managers came out for it was just for the introductions, and they went to the back. They weren't interfering or they weren't part no. parts of the match. Um, I just wanted to ask really quickly... For a guy, you know, and then, well, let, let's talk about your, your heel turns. The heel, t I was, I was wrong because you turned on Jack Briscoe, which created an amazing series of matches. Only guy or the first guy to reverse his figure four, which was huge then, really got you, you know, major magazine coverage. And then the turn in San Francisco happened, which was, I, I can't remember who that was with, or uh, was that with Lonnie or with Pat in San Francisco at the was that a TV or the Cow Palace proper? It had to have been one of those two. Joe, I tell you the truth, I don't remember either. I think I, I may have just come in as a heel. I'd been there several times. But you, or, or, you, know. you came in with the beard. It was the first time you came into San Francisco for Shire and you had the beard because I know you won uh, one of those. I came in earlier. I came in about 72 or 73. Right. right, I, was, right. I, was, I, was, I was going going great for a couple of months and then I tore my clavicle. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't spend all that, that much time there. And came back, did a couple, you know, a couple of jobs and, and, and then went off to Florida uh, real soon after I returned. So I, my first run there, I wasn't that great. Went Florida, Texas. Um, well, boy, if there was a, if there was, a, I remember I had a big, I remember I had a big feud going with Pat for the, for the, the U.S. title, but I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember how I, I really don't remember how I turned. Because I have uh, some photos I'll have to send you, uh, you with the beard winning. And it was hilarious because we all knew every year Roy would just trot out the same Battle Royal trophy. You know, it's not like the guy who won yeah. the trophy. He used it up until, uh, you know, he closed up shop. And then you know what he did. I'm sure you heard. He went and exposed the business. He knew he was quitting and he knew Vince Jr. and Vern were coming in to pick his bones in the Bay Area. Uh, Vern started like three weeks after Roy quit at the Oakland uh, arena, the indoor arena. But Roy has his last show, which is an amazing battle royal. There were like six, five former NWA champions, and Harley was champ at the time on there. Brody was on the card, all these guys, Ernie Ladd, John Tolis, who you knew from Hawaii. And then Roy goes to the LA Times and exposed the business to F it up for Vince and Vern, who are coming in. Had you heard about that? Uh, because you were already bits and bits and pieces, and you know nothing, nothing Roy could could do would really surprise anybody. You know he he was a 
Roy was Roy. You know, he's from, from, from Shires. He was a, a great mind. You worked with some amazing people. I mean, Eddie Graham was a genius. Yes. Soul. Roy was a genius, you know, wasn't the greatest human being. Vern, great at many things, but I saw him and he'd yell and scream at people in the back. But it was because, you know, you were always on the coast, Hawaii, San Francisco, L.A. Ed Francis, Ed, Ed Francis, Ed Francis's TV was years and years ahead of everything else. I, I would say that Ed, uh, Dory Funk Jr. and Eddie Graham ran three of the most progressive territories uh, you know, pre uh, pre Vince, pre WWE, WWF. You know uh, uh, that uh, between Francis and all the stuff he was doing, Johnny Brand and and Ripper, it was just uh, unbelievable. And the amount of talent he had, the, the characters he had, Johnny coming out of a coffin, and, and you know Ripper swishing and swashing all over the place. <laughs> Ed, uh, yeah, Ed, Ed created a lot of. Uh, a lot of a lot of entertainment, a lot, lot of you know, a lot of heavy mind stuff that, that was really you know current with the times. It was the sixties, uh, free love, uh, smoking dope, well, women's rights. Everything was everything was there. So Ed, Ed just ran with it. Let me just ask one last one, then I'll shut up here. <laughs> part and I apologize because I don't want to lose this train of thought, but I'd always talk with Bachwinkle. We were always telling people the greatest promo guy ever. History of the business is Hawaiian. Curtis Iakea. Yeah. So stories about your pal, because I would visit him there. I was sad to see his son. His son had a great run in all Japan for a little while. I don't know what happened to Curtis's son, but some, uh, your thoughts on his technique, you know, obviously now everybody copies it, starting out with the camera on his back, not facing the camera and then going, you know, from low voice to growl to just, you know, out of this world, state of the art. <laughs> And how did he be? How did he go from being a bull, you know, Curtis the Bull Iakea, to a prince, Prince Iakea, to King Curtis Iakea, who was like the god of Japan and Australia, just one of the greatest. Well, he was a, he was initial. Uh, he was you know, he was the one that brought in Abby and uh, and uh, and Brody. Uh, I've heard stories that Brody talked that, that that Curtis is the one that taught him. You know how to how to uh, well they took him and he and he and Mark Lewin were partners mm -hmm. in Australia and they worked uh, for Jim Barnett and uh, it was like a, you know good cop bad cop Mark was the bad guy Curtis always took care of the boys Curtis you know Curtis could massage everybody Curtis you know he had the his 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 gift to gab outside the ring was as, as good as his, his promos and uh, he was he went to you know Cal Berkeley he was an intelligent man he was you know. He wasn't a fool. So, yeah, he was Get fooled by Vic Christie. You heard that story. The rib, he comes into L.A. for the first time. You know what I'm talking about. And he had a gimmick. So he couldn't roll down the windows. The doors were locked, all this shit. I'm making this really short. And it was a very short trip from the airport. I don't know if it was Burbank or LAX to the Olympic Auditorium for. Oh, God. Yeah. And Moto. But instead, he went the Palm Springs route. He turned what should have been maybe 20 minute drive into eight hours. And he's sweating and sweating to pull this rib Vic Christie who wrestled also in Honolulu under a mask on the uh, Curtis who was so young and trusting but man what a what a legend that was yeah that was kind of like the original rib those uh, Anton Leone did it to me one time he was running an uh, opposition in San Francisco we were going someplace out of Oakland he drove me to Stockton and all around he was buying lunch all day and stuff you know so we were, we were going all over the place but I was 
I was wise to it, but it was just great listening to Anton talk. And the uh, big Christie, he was Tally Ho's hero. Yep. Tally Ho came up with the, the Christie for Vic and Ted, and they were they were the um, they were they had the inside on the on the uh, the stuntman industry in Los Angeles. They did all the stunts, and they were I guess they were down with the the, the stars, and, and they you know they're doing the, all the ribs and stuff that that Vic always you know Vic was always you know thinking up stuff coming up with different ribs and stuff. And he, he, he played them on all the movie stars and the directors. He didn't, you know, so Vic, Vic was the original, uh, one of the original rivers before Fuji, before everything else. You know, he just, uh, so he was, he was Tally Ho's. And then he became in, I always wondered when I was a kid, I'd watch, uh, this Tally Ho was, you know, Tally Ho and Vic were just tight. When Vic passed, it kind of like something died in Tally, but I'd watch the matches and Curtis was such a, violent force in the ring, you know, over everybody. Then he'd get in the ring with the execution, and the execution would just, just beat the hell out of him. I, I, I could never figure it out, you know, why he was, you know, he was just, he would just sell the execution like it was going, and then Vic Christie, he would just sell him like it was going out of style. Yeah, you know, he was, he was Tally Ho's friend. Tally Ho started Curtis, Tally Ho started me, and Tally Ho started uh, another young fellow, Monica Mossman, who became a big star for uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling for Baba. Yep. Left uh, right went right out of uh, right out of high school, and went right to Japan, right to the locker rooms, and with the guy Gene, and he did all the locker room stuff, and and uh, and just grew and grew until he became like a booker for Baba. Well, you've made a couple of trips to Japan as well. You did like the MSG League tournaments and stuff like that, and obviously, I've always heard about the differences in Japanese style compared to America and. Mexico and such. Did you find it real different working in Japan compared to other places you've been? Um, only at first, just the lack of uh, lack of you know crowd the participation. Their workers there were excellent. You know all the all the guys there in the ring. It was pre, it was pre like it is now. You know with the, the high flying and the, you know the the exploding uh, barbed wire and the. The neon, the, the neon, the neon lights, and and all that stuff. It was pretty there. It was, just, it was like uh, uh, Takashio, um, the first Kabuki and the Jumbo Taruda, and those those guys, Baba Sakaguchi. They, they had a they're good crew, and they they worked uh, they worked uh, American style. And I always they, they thought they people you know say that you know they they took advantage or they were stiff or anything. I always found them to be great workers, you know easy to work with, uh, just just getting used to the sound, of, you know, the silence of the crowd. Now, the uh, biggest thing I would think of, too, is especially for a guy like you who's been all over the U.S. and such, some of Canada, would be the diet and food over there in Japan would be a big culture shock as well. Yeah, I grew up in Hawaii. Well, yeah, that's true, you know. with I grew up in Hawaii with raw fish and, and uh, white rice and what about the corn? The corn on the, off the cob on pizza. I always see that in Hawaii. Yeah, and spam. You know, obviously spam. Spam. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll, and I'll side note here, Mike. And the reason when I was younger I would come to Oahu a lot was because of my dad's job with the government. And anytime, as a family would come out or he'd come out solo, the one request he always gets pre-COVID was. How many cans of spam are you bringing? 
I, I kid you not, it would be from the locals he hung, hangs out with. It'd be how much you bring in. But Spam's uh, a big, big card over here. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, I want to bring up, and I was sad to recently read this because it's been a few years since I've been out there. And I know you're on the North Shore there, Don, but I was a little disappointed to hear that the North Shore had closed over on Waikiki Beach. That was our favorite spot to go in my uh, 20s, let's just say. It, uh, uh, well, that, just that hotel. Yeah, the, all the, the restaurant, like every place else, pretty much. You know, the restaurants are shut down. Um, the hotel my wife works at, uh, up and my daughter, uh, that, that closed, the, the Turtle Bay. Turtle Bay with uh, used to be Hilton, the Turtle Bay Hotel. That closed down. So, you know, that it's uh that was that was that was what drew me into the world of podcasting. But uh jumping into the WWE stuff, obviously you come back and feud again with a man named Pedro Morales that Dr. Mike mentioned. And it's I found it unique and maybe just because of how the time was that you started with the Grand Wizard. You went and did a couple other territories, Dr. S, or excuse me, Dr. X in Georgia and such, and bounced around. Then you came back with uh, Captain Lou. And obviously, you got to have a couple of good Captain Lou stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lou, was, Lou was great. You know, he was, uh, when he got to the, he, he would, she was like Jekyll and Hyde. He'd come, he'd come, he'd right arrive in the arena and he would just, you know, that was his, that was party time. That oh, was just time yeah. to get down. So, um, and I always tell the story about TV, you know, going at the Allentown in Hamburg, the TV, we used to stand there all day, all, you know, from oh, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning up until the time that they started shooting the three hour, three separate hours uh, for, for broadcasting for the next three weeks to be inserted, uh, bicycled around the territory. All, you know, all for the two days. So Lou would start with the glasses on the side of the, you know, the one would be from one, one corner would be all water and then the <laughs> other side would be vodka. And he'd go from water and water and seven up to seven up to water and vodka, the vodka and seven up, vodka and vodka. He just went down the line. And, and as the day went on, uh, depending, you know, if he was eating or if there's anything they're cooking, anything in the back. You get a pretty good buzz, you know, get a pretty good buzz going. So um, those times were the payoff days when Skolan and uh, Zacco and Monsoon, they pay off for lots of some of the small towns or the bigger towns that the guys, a lot of the guys that weren't on top were getting paid. And the managers, there were the managers would, would get paid. So you'd hear it, you'd hear it going along, going along as, as you're going along and you hear see Lou and he's, and he's getting, you know, he's starting to have fun. He's having to have a good time. And he's talking, and then somebody hands him a paid off. And all of a sudden, you'd hear that Irish son of a bang, you know. And what? And, 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 and then they would go, you know, quiet down, and that no good mother, boom, you know. And, and you know, and, and, and before long, he's going off, you know, it's, ah, you're cheating, you know, you're right. And they were getting, you know, they were just getting their pump, but he was, you know, some blessing or something, they'd all pump him up. They'd work. You know, they well, they come well, on, what'd you get here, Lou? You know, what'd you get for this town? What'd you get for that town? You know, and then, oh, yeah, well, you, we were getting, you know, we should have been getting more. And they just, you know, just have loose, you know, they said he'd just be lucid by the end of the, you know, after a couple of hours. So 
you know, half the time, you know, you more times than not, he'd, he'd go after the senior and he Tuesday night, he'd get fired. Boom. You're, you're can't help it. Lou. You're, you're out of here. Wednesday, he'd come back his head down like a puppy dog and come and he'd get hired back. So, you know, he would, he'd spend about 12 hours uh, unemployed and then, and then back again. But he, oh, he managed to make it to the, uh, he managed to make it to the King's table, which, which was a meeting that they, that the, the meal that they had after uh, the first night in Allentown that Vincent would, they'd set it up and set up a, you know, beautiful meal, big, you know, big East, East coast menus. And um, sometimes somebody prepare a meal, but they'd have, and I, this picture I will never lose is like Lou sitting at the end of the table, laying back and uh, with a big, big cup of butter. And he'd order like three lobsters, three lobster <laughs> tails. And he just, he'd rip the tail off and it'd be like King Jane, you know, like uh, uh, Henry VIII. He'd just be dipping the, eating the lobster, you know, out of like a, like a drumstick or like a, like a, like a corn dog. He'd be eating it. And drinking his vodka, cheating Irish son of a bitch. You know. oh. And you know, and he'd be telling his jokes, and you know, just butter going over and lobster and butter. And, you know, <laughs> he was he was a great. Then you know, then then he got away from it, and he was still like as quiet and gentle. And when he got around the boys, he would re. Uh, I think Altamore used to pump him up a lot. <laughs> Who did? Tony Altamore. Yeah, yeah, his former Sicilian's tag team partner. Yeah, his partner. Yeah, <laughs> he was the. Uh, he was. He was. He, he was. He was. He. He. You know. He put gas. He put gas in Lou's engine all the time. He was always <laughs> in the. Uh, get Lou going. Oh boy, I love hearing that people would stir the pot. But that dinner you mentioned would that be the one that, or one of many that I've heard about that he would sit there at least a senior. Vince Senior be like, you son of a bitch, and call him out directly to his face. Oh yeah, oh that's a, yeah, that's how he got fired all the time. Yeah, <laughs> just you know, and it wasn't you know he was he was he was well you know he just somebody would somebody just poke him with a stick you know and then oh god we got we got that that's a big house they had in the Philadelphia you know we should you know, our you know your man was on top you should have got you know you should be getting your payoff. You're right. You're right. You know, and then boom, there were, they, you know, then you're off. He was off and running. <laughs> get him, yeah. Get him going. But uh, curious to know, and I know you knew him prior to even Portland days. And they, everybody obviously talks about the famous cage match with Jimmy Snooker. I'm curious to know, because I had heard a version from someone not involved with the match. Because obviously he's known for that splash, people taking pictures, the whole bit. But was that something that was kind of done by him losing a match, Jimmy, to kind of kill him off for Hogan? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think there, there was nothing done deliberately to kill him off. You know, I, I don't, you know, he, he still came out of that thing with a, with that splash off the top of the cage. So that was, you know, there was, Vince, what, you know, we came, we got together together I said well you know what everybody's paying for you know what everybody wants to see is, is him come off the top I said that's you know that's the reason everybody's here and the, they wanted me to keep the belt um and I explained that before you know he was a, Jimmy was the kind of guy like Jake Roberts you know you, you, you didn't he had Jake had a snake he didn't need a belt Jimmy Jimmy had 
Jimmy had the dive off the top. He had that body. You know, he had, you know, the, you know, he just had that charisma about him. Jimmy didn't need a, Jimmy didn't need a, Jimmy didn't need a championship. A lot of these guys don't need championships to, that, uh, in those days, because they, they had a gimmick that was, you know, that that was equal to a belt, like the snake or, you know, something, uh, Macho Man with Elizabeth and, and, and diff, different, uh, you know, different guys like that. A belt tells, like I said before, when you, when you get a belt, first, the only, the first thing you can do is lose it. And that's, that's why usually you find a, you know, a heel with a belt. But then, you know, when I was, when I was, was champion, my, my, just, my business, my job was to put over all the baby faces, you know, to make them look good, hold on to the belt till there's somebody they wanted to put it on to. And in the meantime, you know, draw a house with the big Rocky Johnson, Tito, guys like that coming up the line that, that they want the baby faces they want to ex- expose and, and get over. And, and uh, you know, that's pretty much my job is getting over baby faces that were coming up. But I'd be curious to know, because you were so hot in that time period, 82 through the mid 80s and such. And I'm sure you've talked about this before as well, Don. But how come you weren't on WrestleMania one? George Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Was there heat with you and George or? I never knew about it. I never realized he he took over Charlotte. He took over the booking in, in North Carolina, and they had they had they had great Wahoo and Mulligan and Flair, Steamboat, Paul, on and on and on. They just had they were just rich in talent, over, over overloaded in talent. I I would go to Florida. I, I liked working for Eddie, and I, I got I got along well with the Briscoes, and I liked working down there and. Um, I would reach a point in maybe a year, 18 months, 12 months, six months on the mainland. And I just had it. I, I, I wanted to come home. I wanted to go surfing. I wanted to be back in Hawaii. I didn't. Uh, so I guess uh, the only, only thing I can think of, the only reason I, I can understand, because George and I were friends. Uh, he was a friend of Ma, Oahu's. And Oahu would come up to Texas in AWA. And we traveled together. You know, we had, we, you know we were cordial. We, we, you know, we worked out a lot, worked out together and I was with Wahoo a lot. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I can only reason I can think is that I didn't call him and ask him for a job coming out of Florida. And reason being, and there was a lot of work going on there. You, you traveled all the time. You're always in a car. You made a lot of money, but you, you, they earned it. You know, you're, you're on the road eight days a week, you know, you're just going all the time. So I didn't really, you know, I hadn't thought about it graduating to the the mid Atlantic area, but uh, I just went back to Hawaii or San Francisco. Well, I love considered San Francisco. I lived in Santa Cruz for a long time, bought a home there for for a while. And there was some good surfing up in uh, Northern California as well, right? Yeah, I lived in Santa Cruz. Yeah, I I lived the 35th or 36th Avenue. I can't remember which, but right on right on Pleasure Point, I was uh, two blocks from the beach. Would walk down, could walk down and surf. I surfed all day, get in my car and drive to the town. I had the extra, extra 30 minutes, extra 40, 30, 45 minutes. I had to drive over that Highway 17 to San Jose. Miller Curve, I think they call it. Yeah, yeah, that place is nasty. So I had to, I had to travel that to Stockton, Modesto, Sacramento, all the Richmond, Oakland, all the, all the towns that Roy ran up above. But I, I loved living in Santa Cruz. And it was, it was, it's really crowded now. It's, it's, it's grown. 
It's the last. Uh, it's got the last uh, beach boardwalk of any, uh, at least mainland on the, the West Coast. They're all gone. Pacific Ocean Park in L.A., the Pike in Long Beach, uh, Santa Be Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk is the last one left. It was pretty historic. And then, of course, a little bit north of that, we have every year, except for COVID and, and when it's too big, the biggest waves, uh, that big competition. I can't think of the name. Mavericks. Yeah, Mavericks is huge. They get daily coverage in all the yeah. affiliates. It's always that big. I don't want to forget, this is what I was going to say earlier, uh, Pampiro Furpo's daughter, Mary, told me to make sure I say hi to you because uh, Furp was very fond of you. And I ended up serving as one of his pallbearers. Uh, he passed in January, right before COVID hit. Of last year and yeah yeah i'm sure home, I read about yeah, that. go back home up there the service was in san jose but in that period that we were talking about uh of the 70s through when you debuted what was it february 24th of 81 for allentown uh, vince senior tv there were so many guys we were calling it then me and napolitano the Shire or Pat Patterson invasion of uh, Shire territory guys. And I don't know if Pat had, you know, he was certainly in Vince Jr.'s ear, but uh, from Peter Mavia to Rocky to Fuji returning to Stevens. Stevens definitely was Pat giving him one last bone. Uh, Bugsy McGraw, who was fresh off of being the brute for Shire or a couple of years prior, uh, and, and yourself in 81, was that something going on in your mind hey all of these former shire guys are now huge big global stars for vince senior and the the wwf tri wf to wwf uh now that you mentioned it you know it's really possible it didn't it didn't seem to occur to me all at the time i mean i'd known fuji uh along quite a while um pat man i like pat from san francisco originally but he came over here he used to come to hawaii you know uh when, when Ron was trying to take over uh take over the territory for Matt. So he's, he's working in Hawaii as well. And then later when, when Ed and Roy got together. So he was, he spent a lot of time here in Hawaii. Uh, Ray, I knew Ray from AWA and uh, Bachwinkle was in Hawaii. He was, he and Tally Ho were real close friends. So, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of the guys, I, I never considered it that way. I wouldn't be surprised that it didn't happen because, you know, Pat obviously had a lot of, uh, a lot of input with the, with Junior. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, he relied on Pat to you know to you know the the, uh, the you know the talent because he met Slaughter and uh, well so many of the other guys that came in. But Snuka, uh, yeah, Snuka, when you were still in Florida or Mid Atlantic, uh, Roy put the strap on him, and then he was feuding with Buddy Rose there, and obviously Buddy Rose came in. That's another name I didn't mention besides yeah. Snuka. All this amazing talent. So now I want to ask, because I, I haven't heard you say anything about this, but is it hard for you? You were like one of the last, other than the Funks, maybe Les Thatcher. There are not that many true territory guys. I wouldn't consider Hogan that because he came about later. He and Ed Leslie, maybe around 76, 77, once Hiro Matsuda trained him. But being a territory guy, is it hard, uh, you know, I wouldn't say breaking kayfabe, but just speaking the way you are now to to people. I mean, I had some job jobber matches, but I wouldn't consider myself a wrestler. I was a better photographer for the mags. So is it hard for you doing this? Because guys like John Tolis, they just refuse to, they wouldn't do that, you know, over public. Yeah, well, John's an era before me. John had a good 
10, 15 years on me. And, and the guys out. And at first, at first, it was awkward, you know, that uh, when Vince, and it, it's been out there for maybe 20 years now. Well, he did that he, uh, in the Athletic Commission, having to pay yeah, for Yeah, that, that, he, that he dropped the Athletic Commission. He had that huge press conference with Wall Street Journal, everybody, all the networks covering it around. Yeah, he was, tar- he was tired of the, 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 all the commissioners hanging around, you know, with their hands out, you know, catching a payoff and stuff. And, and there were times that these guys would go, go out, of their, out of their way to try and stop shows and try, you know, try it, you know. And so, yeah. But no, as far as my, it, yeah, it's it's an adjustment because I was I was fortunate enough to have my foot in both of you know both of the rings. You know, I I came up with the you know the old time you know Curtis and Tally Ho and then all the you know the Tolis was a good you know I came up with all those guys and then when I first went to when I first went to to New York, uh, Senior was still running the show. Senior. He was still the still the promoter, so we we went uh, from as far from Maine and Toronto and that area, Maine all the way down to Washington D.C. into Maryland and as far as far uh, as west as, as Pittsburgh. So you know there was, it was we were in a basically you know kind of a territory era like that. And then I left and then came back, and Vince had taken over from Senior Junior had taken over from Senior, and it was. You know, because I was on the initials of the baby steps, and when it first started, you know, when the when the movement first started to the international and national and international and stuff. So um, it kind of grew on me. You know, it was a part you know where I had been embedded in the in the old style Kaniski and Bob Brown, and, you know, those kind of guys growing. You know, being trained and being taught by those guys and the old kayfabe thing, and you know. It's, and yeah, you know, Tolis, what a great guy. I mean, you, you know, if you knew Tolis, you knew. I ran you know, his camp club in the 60s and then ran uh, Blassie's after uh, Jeff Walton had to give it up. The yeah. Tolis brothers. There's a guy, Chris Tolis, who could not for the life of him pronounce Shibuya's name. He pronounced it as Shibui. And, and then Mitsu Arakawa, who lived right near me in Northern California, too, as Kenji did with his koi farm, which you knew about. I'm sure he went to his house. But yeah, it's Chris Tolis. Came into LA '72, and it was the only time Chris and John worked as faces. And they had killer one-hour Broadway matches, legit with Shibuya and Walt Kowalski. They were just off the charts. And one of those matches, Chris lost his shoe, legit, like Dory Jr. would in a Harley race match. I shot at Keel, but Chris said, "What the fuck?" And he just kept wrestling without one of his boots on for you know the rest of the 40 minutes. Just insanity. Those guys, it's missing. So it's hard for me now all the fireworks, the pyro, the valets, the entrance music, all of this stuff. Whereas you guys didn't have to do any of that and the place would go ballistic. Like Bruno coming down, no jacket, maybe sometimes not even the strap and the place went ballistic. And now you have to have all this accoutrement stuff added on. What are your thoughts? And I'm sure you're gonna, you guys are gonna wanna get into this on stuff today. Cause I really miss, I'm so glad I got to shoot most all the territories, including Japan, multiple tours, Mexico, the UK, Australia, New Zealand and stuff, Steve Ricard's areas. Uh, because now, I mean, the Indies and all of the stuff and the flippity flops and, and using former finishers like uh, figure fours and suplexes as transition moves, it sometimes bothers me really bad. And I go, oh, too bad people didn't get to see this amazing stuff. Thank God some of it's on YouTube, but 
I don't even think your matches with Jack or any of your matches with Jack Briscoe, those classics, are they on? Did anybody film it? I mean, I don't think they got that from Mike Graham selling whatever he had because some of the footage was just taped over like most promoters did to save money. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't been able to find your matches with Briscoe. And people people were going ballistic for Briscoe Paul Jones, but when you came in and had that feud with Briscoe, people went out of their minds. They thought that was the greatest matches ever in Florida history. I had, yeah, I, I, you know, I enjoyed Jack, you know, he was, we had that lookalike thing going on. I, I pinned, it was a, a mess up by the referee, by the referee. And I actually did, you know, that I, I'd been pushed in the ring and fell on Dusty and I pinned Dusty in a, in a title match and kicked out and they thought it was Jack. Of course I had more hair on the back of my head, but you know, the, it, uh, and then different, different things on the figure four, like you say, Different things like that, you know. I, I uh, you know, working with Jack was a, he was a classic. You know, it was he and uh, Dory Jr. You know, two, you know, obviously two of the greatest. You know, to ever lace up boots. You know, my my favorite. Uh, well, Jack, is my favorite, but I was so close with him. I don't I don't hold him to that. I, I hold uh, Dory Jr. and Ray Stevens as my two uh, my two all time favorites, and then the other guys. You know the. And there's so many great guys, you know, Ivan Koloff, you know, what, you know, and, and, and the disrespect he's got, but what a, what a fantastic, what yeah, a what fantastic. He, Bruno was so pissed. Uh, I, Bruno used to call me every Sunday and then I better shut up and pass it over uh, to ask. He'd always want to hear uh, Vince's numbers were down, his ratings, his buy rates on pay-per-views. You know, I can't go into why he agreed finally to go into the Hall of Fame. Well, they basically he was told, hey, if you don't go, if you go in, we'll give your wife and the kids, the twins, all the health insurance for the rest of their lives and a couple of million. And you'll do voiceovers and get more money for these DVDs. But if you don't, we'll just put you into our Hall of Fame when you die and your family won't get anything. So that was the impetus for that because he never wanted, you know, it's fine you know, for whatever reasons, he'd been in a ton of legit Hall of Fames, but, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know, today's stuff, uh, it just... Well, all the heat, the majority of the heat started from there that, that uh, Bruno wanted to run those towns around Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, he was running it, but that's right. He well, got, he was running it, but he wanted, he wanted full, you know, he wanted uh, exclusivity, you know, he wanted, he wanted those, he wanted Pittsburgh, Altoona, uh, West Virginia, you know, that, that, that area there, which is a, which is really a gold mine, you know, all those, the, those towns that well, within 150 mile radius of Pittsburgh, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, small towns that can do, you know, that did great business on a, on a weekly basis. Yeah, now Bruno started guys like Johnny DeFazio and Johnny Valiant and stuff, but Bruno was pissed and, and also said, I ain't going into your hall of fame until why is, Mar uh, why is Koloff not in your, you know, Hall of Fame in your mind, because there's no physical one for the Marks to visit. You know, they just archive all that stuff. And I've been helping that, you know, that A&E, the three hours that's going to be tonight on TV. And one of those is going and getting all this stuff that they're hoarding. But, you know, I don't think in my lifetime or yours, we're going to see uh, that stuff on display in an actual physical museum for the Marks. But Bruno was pissed that Koloff wasn't, how could he not be in the Hall of Fame. And it couldn't have been the Eddie Einhorn jumping to Eddie Einhorn in 75 because Vince brought him back when uh, Ivan thought he got... I was there, yeah. Um, yeah, he got cheated on a payday, uh, the first Roosevelt Stadium show in 75 against Moscow's for Einhorn. It was taking on both Vince Sr. and the whole NWA with that IW yeah. 
loaded with talent, loaded with talent. Sheik's guys, Johnny Powers guys from Ohio, all the Pedro Martinez guys from upstate New York. But I don't know what the heat was. So that was my original thing. Do you even know? I, yeah, I don't know. I would, you know, I, would, I, would, I, would go, I would go with the Eddie Ironhorn IWA thing too. But then, like you said, he came back afterwards and performed Fire just as you know. He was there when I he was there when I was there. So but you're not aware of the heat. It wasn't like uh, George and Sandy Scott were keeping Koloff out of Vince's Hall of Fame. No, I I, I don't know. I, well, um, it got to be some something personal there that you know that that would you know, go go to somebody's go to Vince's grave with him. I guess I don't know what the I don't know what the uh, what the heat was like. You said because he was back there working. And my last, uh, when I came back there through through there and um, working the same as he's always worked. I had a couple great angles. I uh, enjoyed so much working with Ivan, uh, both in the AWA and then later in Florida. In fact, I have a, I had a cage match with him that uh, I look, I call, you know, one of my, you know, one of my finest uh, moments in wrestling that, that, you know, and, you know, I just, I just jumped in the car and went for a ride. I just followed him. You know, he did all the driving. We worked together, but you know, I was, you know, he was, he was a great general. One guy that you carried, it was one of the, another weird styles clash, almost as bad as Blassie, Billy Robinson, Blassie in Atlanta on a Christmas show in 74. I shot with Bill Watts. Fred refused to bump herself for Bill Watts, who was a tough guy, but you carried total legend. One of our Jackie Robinson's for African-American guys in Bobo in at one of Ripper Anton Leone shows in the, I think it was San Jose, a little small house show in the main event. And it was only because Bobo, you know, his knees were shot. He couldn't really walk or move. And you carried him to, you know, the place went crazy. Uh, I don't know if you recall that one. And other guys on the card you might recall besides Tolis, Ron Starr was Roger Rip Kirby was on the undercard to you in the main event with Bobo. Steve Strong. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I was a big, I was a big fan of Bobo's. I worked with him in Florida a few times. I worked with that uh, with, with Anton Leone and those, you know, in, the, in uh, the Northern California. And he, when I worked with him, I would just fly. I put on a pair of wings, and you know, I would just, uh, yeah, I would, I would just, you know, I was just, uh, you know, call it a mark. I was a mark for. I, I just, I had the utmost respect for for Bobo, the way he carried himself, the way he carried, you know, professional wrestling, what he represented. You know his talents, it just his whole uh, his whole demeanor, his whole legend, you know, everything else. So working for, you know, so putting him over was was no no hard task at all. It was just uh, it was a you know, pure joy for me. Well, my last question for you, Don, is, and we appreciate the time, obviously, but Doctor Mike mentioned about the athletic commissions and Vince coming out and all that. That story's been told. But with all the planes, trains, and automobiles, and I know you would take breaks to go back to the islands and such. As we sit today, how are you feeling overall with the bumps and bruises that wrestling does provide? Well, I didn't want my son to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't want grandson. Where's I, you know, um, I had to probably spend more time in school, you know, and God, but. Uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I wanted to be a cop. I, I like the, as you watch now, I like the way they organize and their, their organizations and stuff. I, uh, I was, I was a surfer at heart though. And, and I was an athlete, uh, 
uh, amateur wrestler, football player. I went to, I was in Santa Monica City College, uh, all league over there. And, um, you know, I was a pretty good football player and, and when wanted by other, other, you know, other schools and higher up schools uh, moving on. But uh, got the opportunity to get into professional wrestling. And uh, once I was there, you know, I was just a love at first sight. You know, I just, you know, I was enthralled being in the locker room with the boys, with the guys, learning and progressing. And that was my new, uh, that was my new goal is just learning how to wrestle and then becoming a professional wrestler. So as, as it's gone now, I just say, you know, don't hate the players, hate the game. You know, it's turned and they've let it turn. And these guys now are so tremendously athletic, so gifted, you know, the, the things they can do in the ring and, as far as it's gone, a lot of the psychology has disappeared. Uh, but when you get down, when you get down to the brass tacks, they're, they're different matches. They really kind of fall back. It kind of falls back into the the normal outline of a, of a wrestling uh, of of an old day uh, Dory Funk Jr. match, you know, or Jack Briscoe match, or something like that. It falls back, you know. Uh, of course, you know, you're, you're you're wild men, you know, you're crazy guys and stuff. Now. Now I blame it on on the wrestling. I blame it on the the the, the writing, and there's probably with COVID, there's probably a good reason why the writing has taken such a uh, taken such a dive because there's no hasn't been a need to uh, really come up with any great ideas or to, or to come up with any. You know, I, I think there's a couple guys uh, when they were getting heat on Randy Orton. You know, it just uh, I was going, wow. You know, this it's a lot of heat. They're, they're you know putting on this guy and then it's a shame that he's not being able to take all that heat into house shows and do some business with it rather than just, you know, rather than just using it as a vehicle for TV. And then, uh, you know, other guys that, uh, that have gone by, you know, and the different wrestlers, because there's some wrestlers, but there's some guys in the ring now that, that are really, you know, really got their stuff together. Um, uh, BJ and uh, Kevin, you know, all those guys, I used to like, Seth Rollins, so they so they got him really deeply into the heel thing now, and then this new character. But all these guys were they're all they're all they're Roman Reigns. They're all tremendous performers. They're just you know they're just uh, presented with whatever right whatever type of writing that you know whatever storyline they're trying to follow. You know, and uh, like I said, maybe it's because of COVID. Maybe because there's no crowds. Maybe they just you know put the put the pencil in their hip pocket and just kind of you know playing doing going going along with everything till they can come get with serious, you know, get something serious. But, uh, boy, somebody came along just recently. They got really hot. I can't think I'm a brain freeze right now what's going on, but there's a couple guys, you know, that, that came along that could really look like they could really do some great business, but, uh, you know, we're wait and see. Yep, exactly. And the good thing is, cause you mentioned not going out to the house shows and getting the heat and stuff. The good news is I saw this past week that they're going to be going back out on the road again, which is good for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I saw that also as well. So, gentlemen, thank you so much <laughs> for the time. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a little, little. Tiny bubble In the wine Make me
Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world. But I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have. SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com Guerrero, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. 